God's mercy and grace prevail in our lives because of the sacrifice Jesus made. This message is the third in a series, Teach Us to Pray. The message is entitled, Forgive Us. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Well, go ahead and grab your notes there on the, uh, on, the, on the online section there. You'll find notes available as we're continuing our series that we started a couple of weeks ago entitled, Teach Us to Pray. Teach us the value, Lord, of prayer. We're talking about prayers that get answers from God. I would imagine that if you're like me, I want to make sure that when I pray, that I'm praying the right way. And sometimes we don't pray uh, very well. Sometimes we don't pray very, in a very focused way because we're not quite sure exactly how to go about prayer. And this goes all the way back to the time of Jesus' ministry when a disciple asked him the same kind of question that you and I often ask ourselves, what's the right way to pray? And one of the disciples came to Jesus one day and after observing Jesus in a prayer time, asked Jesus this question, or actually made this request of Jesus, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? From that question, from that inquiry, from that that, that desire to learn something about prayer from Jesus came what we call the model prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And listen to what Jesus said in response to the, to the inquiry, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus gave us these words in Matthew chapter 9, beginning, excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9, he gives us this very important prayer. This then is how you should pray. Stop there for a moment. Jesus is about to tell us this is the way to pray. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some translations will add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. There are all kinds of aspects to this prayer. Jesus teaching us how to pray. And I want to focus today on one particular aspect found in verse number 12. And let's focus in on this particular idea, the idea of praying a prayer of forgiveness. Lord, forgive us. Notice verse 12, and forgive us. There's that phrase, forgive us our debts, our transgressions, our iniquities, our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors, those who've sinned against us. Listen again, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here Jesus teaches us to pray what I would call the forgive us prayer. And I want to talk this weekend about how to effectively pray the forgive us prayer. It's a prayer that all of us need to understand and to know how to pray well, pray effectively. Let me share with you four things that you need to understand that will help you and I to, to really pray this prayer the right way. Number one, it's extremely important that we understand that Jesus was teaching us that sin is a very big deal. Jesus included the concept of sin in his model prayer. He taught us something about how to deal effectively with sin by talking about forgiveness. So you can't really appreciate forgiveness without really understanding the need for forgiveness. Now, if I were to ask you the question, have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever messed something up in your life? Have you ever done something that you wished you didn't do? All of us would say, absolutely. Yeah, all of us have made mistakes. What we often uh, fail to understand is this. Some of the mistakes that we make are mistakes, and some of the things that we do wrong are just things we do wrong, but some things are categorized in a unique category called sin. And I want to talk about this idea of sin just for a moment. Some of our mistakes and some of our failures are not just mistakes and failures, they're actually called sin. 
I think in our culture today, we've lost an awareness of what sin really is. And so I want to define for you this word sin, because you can't understand forgiveness without, again, understanding what sin is all about. Sin is anything that violates the word and violates the will of God in letter or in spirit. Anything that you do against God's word or against God's will in letter or in spirit is sin. It is rebellion against God's ways. Sin is choosing our will and choosing our ways or the world's will and the world's ways or the devil's will and the devil's ways above God's ways. That's really what sin is. Sin is going your own way, going the world's way, going the devil's way, going opposite of what God would have us to do. And sin shows up in the Bible very early. In fact, once we get into the third chapter of the book of Genesis, we actually see sin entering into the world and entering into the picture. Let me read for you the first nine verses of Genesis chapter three. These are very important verses for us to understand because it sets the, 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 the tone of what sin is all about and why it is so serious, why it is such a big deal. Genesis three, beginning in verse number one, reading from the New Living Translation, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. Who was she convinced by? By the serpent. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So here it is. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. God said, don't. She now does this. Then she gave some to her husband. So Adam does the same thing who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, what moment? The moment that they disobeyed God, the moment that they did the devil's will, their own will, rather than God's will. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Lots of things we could talk about in this particular passage, but I want you to see that this is the very first sin. It is recorded uh, as the sin of humanity that now we all suffer from. It is serious. It broke Adam and Eve's fellowship, relationship with God. It does the same for us. Sin is a big deal. Why? Because sin is actually a rejection of God's love and God's authority. That's exactly what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve were rejecting God's love, God's care, God's authority. It's a destructive force. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. And actually, as I said just a few moments ago as well, it is an alignment. When you and I sin, it is an alignment with the world. It is an alignment with the sinful flesh. It is an alignment with the devil. It is an anti-God alignment. So when you and I make a choice to sin, we're lining up with something opposite of God. So we're choosing to move out of alignment with God and choosing to be in alignment with ourself, alignment with the sinful world around us, or in alignment with the devil himself, as we see that Adam and Eve suffered from. It separates us. It hinders our fellowship with God, and it hurts us spiritually, obviously. 
It hurts us emotionally. It hurts us in so many different ways. And if we don't properly deal with sin, we'll be consumed with guilt and shame and condemnation and regret. Why is sin such a terrible thing? Because when you and I sin, as I talked about, it does obviously all these negative things to us, but it also creates in us a, what I would call a demand for punishment. There's an internal sense in which you know when you do something wrong, there's a deserving punishment that goes along with it. In fact, God implied punishment associated with sin. Genesis 2, 17, uh, before uh, Adam and Eve sins, God sets them in the garden. Adam and Eve and talks to them about the tree and uh, the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life and sets those two before them. And notice what he says in verse 17 of Genesis 2, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, notice the consequence, you will certainly die. Romans 6, 23. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you agree that sin is a big deal? James talks about this in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, notice this, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Sin is a very big deal. That's why Jesus included it in the model prayer. He included this important aspect of addressing it. We should never take sin lightly. It is a destructive and a very deadly thing. It is a big deal. Number two, the second thing today, to understand is that God has something, here it is, God has something good to say to sinners. Aren't you glad to hear that? See, sin is a universal problem and everybody sins. Everyone is a sinner. Isaiah 53, 6, all of us, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice we all like sheep. What have we done? We've gone astray. Have you ever gone astray from God? Have you ever aligned yourself with yourself rather than God or aligned yourself with the world's ways of doing things rather than God's? Have you ever aligned yourself with the devil? Of course, we all have. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us have turned to our own way. Romans 3.23, very important statement given to us by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. For all have sinned. How many have sinned? All, A-L-L, -L, all have sinned and fall short. Not only have we sinned, but we continually fall short of the glory of God. We sin on a regular basis. We've sinned in the past. We sin in the present. Obviously, in this life, we're never going to be perfect, and so sin still continues to be an issue. We sin with our thoughts. We sin with our motives. We sin with our attitudes. We sin with our words. We sin with our actions, and sometimes we sin by our inaction. Jesus made it very clear in Scripture that sin is a universal issue, but he has good news for sinners. There's a story in John chapter 8 that is a very powerful story. I'm sure that you know the story. Certainly you've heard parts of it. But I want to I read this story for you again today because it, it shows us Jesus' attitude towards sinners. Notice what happens here in this story. Here's Jesus 
uh, in, in Jerusalem, and the Pharisees bring a lady to him who had been caught in the act of adultery. Here we find the story. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, Moses' law says to kill her. What about it? They were trying to trap him, that's Jesus, into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his fingers. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, hurl the stones at her until she dies. But only he who never sinned may throw the first. Then he stooped down again and wrote some more in the dust. And the Jewish leaders slipped away one by one, beginning with the eldest, until only Jesus was left in front of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to her, to the lady caught in adultery, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, sir, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Let's talk about this just for a moment, because... I want to share this very important truth. Yes, sin is a universal problem, but Jesus has good things for sinners. He brings good news to sinners. Here in this story was a lady who was caught in the act of adultery. The Old Testament Moses law uh, required her to be killed for her sin. And the Pharisees bring her and throw her in front of Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, what are you going to do with her? The law says she deserves to die. And Jesus makes a very important point here. He actually kneels down in the dust and he began, in the dirt. He begins to write in the dust. And we don't know. It doesn't say exactly what he wrote. But, but, but most theologians, many theologians, believe that Jesus started writing out the names of all of those Pharisees and some of the sins in their lives. See, some of the things that other people didn't know about them, but they knew about themselves. So there's Jesus kneeling down and writing in the dust, perhaps the names of these Pharisees that, was, that were accusing this lady caught in the act of adultery, and he starts to list their sins. This one has done this, and this one has done that, and this one has done the other. And the Bible says that from the eldest to the least, they all went away. Why? Because they were all aware, more than likely, of the fact that they were sinners too. And Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And there in that moment, Jesus then looked at the lady and said, lady, where are all your accusers? And they had all left by now. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. While this lady had to address the sin issue in her life, she met a savior that loved her and cared for her, and was able to bring her out of her sin. In Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse number 10, we see the same sort of attitude that we need to bring to God when it comes to our sins, understanding that he loves and cares for sinners. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 10, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a proud, self-righteous Pharisee. That's he's a, a very religious sort of guy. and The other, a cheating tax collector. The proud Pharisee prayed this prayer. Thank God I'm not a sinner. Notice, how can he even say this? But he says, it makes this declaration, thank God I'm not a sinner like everyone else, especially like that tax collector over there, for I never cheat, I don't commit adultery, I go without food twice a week, and I give a tenth of everything I earn. But the corrupt tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed, but beat upon his chest in sorrow, exclaiming, God be merciful to me a sinner. Notice this, verse 14. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home forgiven. For the proud shall be humbled, 
but the humble shall be honored. Jesus proclaimed forgiveness to the woman caught in adultery. He emphasizes the importance of forgiveness here for this cheating tax collector. And over and over again, you'll find Jesus many, many times speaking forgiveness to people during his earthly ministry. It's very, very clear that while sin is a big deal, Jesus came to help sinners. And I will tell you this, Jesus is the friend of sinners. He's the friend of sinners. He doesn't condone sin, but he comes to help us in the midst of us. In the midst of it, Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to a sinner. Let me say it again. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to you and me because all of us have sinned. Why? Because Jesus did something incredible, amazing, indescribable for every one of us as sinners. He's able to forgive us because he actually paid the price and he experienced the penalty for our sins. See, sin deserves punishment. The soul that sins will die. We talked about the wages of sin being death. But Jesus came and he went, came from heaven to earth, sent by the Father. And what he did is he actually went to the cross and he actually paid the price. He took the penalty. He suffered death for our sins. Isn't that amazing? I think it probably would be very important right now to stop for a moment right where you are and just say a big thank you, Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of people like you and me who We've messed up and we've broken God's law and we've hurt God's heart. And Jesus comes and he, and he redeems us by his death on the cross of Calvary. God so loved the world, John 3, 16 says, verse 17 as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Notice this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come for condemnation. Jesus came for salvation. Very important. Jesus didn't come for condemnation. He came for salvation. See, sin's a big deal. It's, some, it's big. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus comes along and he has something good to say to sinners. What does he say for sinners, to sinners? He says, I want you to understand that even though sin's a big deal, I'm going to pay the price for your sin for you. I'm going to go to the cross and suffer what you should have suffered for your own sin. I'm going to pay that price. I'm going to die on the cross. I will take your wages myself, the wages of sin being death, and so that you can go free, so you can have forgiveness. What is Jesus' message to sinners? The message is forgiveness is available to you. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's my third point this weekend as we're talking about this forgive us prayer. Prayer is the main way we renew and we restore our relationship with God. Prayer is one of the main ways that you continually renew and you continually restore your relationship with God. When we sin, even as Christian believers, when we sin, we have a tendency, and our natural tendency is to run away from God. See, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what did they do? They covered themselves with fig leaves. They were trying to cover their nakedness. And we, we tend to do the same thing, that when we sin, we, we run away from God, and we try to hide from God. But instead of running from God, it is very important that we learn how to run to God. I'm not going to read the story for you. You can read it yourself in Luke chapter 15. It's a fantastic story about a, a, a man who, a young man who was a sinner, a man who really hurt the heart of his father. 
This young man went to his dad one day and said, hey, dad, I don't like living here at home. By the way, I'm paraphrasing. I don't like living here at home. Give me my inheritance. I want to go and do what I want to do. I don't want to be aligned with you anymore. I want to do what I want to do. The father gave him his inheritance and the young man goes out and he wastes everything. He, he loses it all in the way that he was living his life very unwisely, very foolishly. And he comes to the place where he has nothing left. And he's actually taking a job feeding pigs in a pig pen. And he wants to, he's so hungry that he wants to actually eat what the pigs are eating. And he wakes up one day and says, this is no way to live. Even my, even my dad's servants back at home have it better than I do. I'm going to go home. He came to his senses, the Bible says, and he says, I'm going back home to my dad. I don't deserve to even be a son, but maybe, just maybe he'll take me back as a servant. And so this young man starts his journey home and his, his speech is this, I'm going to go to dad and tell him I don't deserve to be your son anymore, but I will, can, can I just be a servant here, dad? It's a lot better being a servant here at home than to being on my own out in the world. And so he makes his journey back. And the Bible says, you can read this for yourself in Luke chapter 15. The Bible says that while the young man was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. What does that imply? It implies the fact that dad had been looking for him. Every day, more than likely, that father would get out and look down the highway with hope that that son would be coming home. He's looking for him. He's hoping. He's longing for the son to come home. And one day, as dad came out and looked down that long road to the family estate, he saw a long way off his son coming. And the Bible says that before the son could get to the father, the father ran to the son and threw his arms around him and embraced him. And the Bible says that he put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And he said, my son that was dead, he's alive again and brought him back home and threw this massive party because his son that had fallen away, had gone his own way now, was returning back home again. What is that telling us? It's telling us the heart that God has for us, the, the, the desire for us to come home to him. And so we tend to run from God. But what you and I need to recognize is that when you and I sin, the most important thing that we can do is not to run from him, but to run to him because he's waiting for us. And prayer is the way that you can run to him. See, religion will cause you to live in guilt. It reinforces guilt and shame and condemnation. But Jesus has open arms ready to receive you for forgiveness and cleansing. It's called mercy and grace. See, when you mess up, what do you want in life? Do you want condemnation or do you want mercy and grace? If you're like me, I want the mercy and grace. So Jesus offers that to us. Jesus, every time you mess up, says, you know what? I, I, my dad's going to kill me, okay? But a relationship with God says, I got to run to my dad and talk to him so I can find the forgiveness and grace that I need in my life. And prayer is the way that we come home. Listen to what Jesus said in this model prayer, verse 12, Matthew 6 again. He said, when you pray, this is how you should pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus said, when you pray, don't push sin aside. Know that Jesus has some good things for you as a sinner to help you through it, but you've got to be willing to renew and restore that relationship with God through prayer. 
What does prayer do? Let me give you four words or four things that happen when you pray effectively when you've sinned, because all of us do sin. We all at times align ourselves away from God. And so how do we pray our way back into a renewed relationship with God? Well, it all starts with something called repentance. And so we come to God with repentance. Repentance says it's not just tears that you shed or necessarily just feeling bad about something, but repentance is a desire to turn from something. It's a desire to say, you know, I was going the wrong way. God, I'm coming back home to you. I'm leaving where I've been and I'm coming back to where I need to be. Second Corinthians seven ten, the Passion Translation. God designed us to feel remorse over sin in order to produce what repentance that leads to victory. This leaves us with no regrets, but the sorrow of the world produces or works death. So there's a sorrow of the world that condemns you and shames you when you messed up, but repentance says, I'm coming back. I'm remorseful for what I've done, but I'm not going to stay there. I'm coming back to God. It's to turn a 180 and turn away from where you've been and come back to God. And then that leads to confession. That's the second thing that goes along with the forgive us prayer that we confess our sins. We own up to them. First John 1, 9, tremendous verse. You need to memorize it if you don't uh, have it memorized already. Tremendous verse. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, what is he? He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. To confess is to say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm running back to you. That's repentance. And now, God, let me, let me just agree with you. What you said about what I did that was wrong, I agree with you that it was wrong. As I've mentioned before many times in my teachings, that the word confession in the, in the actual uh, uh, Greek language is, is one word, homologeo. It's a compound word, homo, same, logeo, word, saying the same thing. So confession is saying the same thing about your sin that God says about it. And so I agree with you, God, that I have messed up. And so I'm honestly and openly confessing my sin. Then number three, I'll give you this word. It's receiving. See, in this forgive us prayer, we repent and we confess, but, but, the, the, but the, the, the prayer is not complete unless there is a receiving. And the receiving is now I accept forgiveness. I receive it into my life. I love the psalmist in Psalm 103, verse 3, when he talks about the benefits of God. He says, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. That's a receiving of the gift that God gives you. You don't earn forgiveness. You and I don't deserve to be forgiven. We don't deserve the grace of God. Grace is not grace if it's deserved. You don't, uh, it, 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 you don't work for it. It's something that God gives you. You and I don't deserve to be forgiven from anything. The smallest little mistake or the biggest mistake. We don't deserve to be forgiven. But there's a receiving when we repent and when we confess. There is a receiving of this precious gift that is given to us of mercy and grace that only God can give something like this out of his love and extend it to us, but it has to be received. You have to take it into your hands and make it yours and say, now I'm accepting this gift into my life. So many times what happens when you and I mess up is that we, we don't do the receiving part. We continue to beat ourselves up and live in shame and guilt over the mistakes that we've made. And there are a lot of people today still living over things that happened five and 10 and 15 and 20 years ago. They're still beating themselves up because they haven't received the gift of forgiveness. And then the the fourth word I'll give you is the word restoring. Let's get back on track again. Restoring means that you're now going to move forward in your life. 
Philippians 3, 13 and 14, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Notice that I'm pressing on. I'm not pressing backwards. I'm pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. God doesn't want to destroy you when you sin. God wants to restore you when you sin. Let me say that again. God does not want to destroy you when you sin. God wants to restore you when you sin. That's why this forgive us prayer is included in the model prayer. Never let sin be your end. Never let sin be your end. Prayer is the main way that we renew and we restore our relationship with God. Sin's a big deal. Absolutely. Jesus came along and he has something good to say to sinners. What's the good thing he says? I took the price. I paid the price for your sin for you. And now when we sin, we renew and restore our relationship with God by learning how to pray in a personal way, the forgive us prayer. But there's one more thing I, I want to talk about today before we conclude this message, because Jesus includes it and, and, and I need to include it. We need to include it as well. And the fourth thing is that prayer is also how we offload hurt, anger, and judgment toward others. Can't leave the topic of forgiveness without addressing not only receiving our forgiveness from God, but also learning how to forgive other people. Notice what Jesus said, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he goes down in verse 14 and 15. These are the words of Jesus, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others when they others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Pretty sobering words, right? Something has often baffled me about people. It's incredible, but I watch it so many times. I watch how people, when they sin, how much grace they want, okay? How desirous they are for forgiveness. And we all are. It's a great thing, amazing thing that God can give us forgiveness. And I watch the same people. When somebody else messes up, bring condemnation into their life. Is that right? No. Or when someone else hurts them, they hold ought against them. Jesus speaks of this in Matthew 18. I'm not going to read this passage for you, but listen to what Jesus said about this tendency that we have to receive grace, but not to extend grace to other people. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is asked a question by Peter. How many times do I need to forgive somebody, Jesus? And would seven times be enough? And Jesus said, no, Peter. By the way, I'm paraphrasing again. That's not sufficient. Okay. 70 times seven, Peter, that is, you need to have a continual attitude of forgiveness. And then Jesus gave this parable. He said, there was a guy that owed a king 10,000 bags of gold. Think about that. I don't know exactly how much money that would be, but probably he's worth millions of dollars. He had borrowed it from the king and now he, oh, it's time for him to pay this money back. And the king calls him in and says, okay, pay me that 10,000 bags of gold that you owe me. And the guy says, I don't have it, can't pay it. He falls on his face and begs the king for forgiveness. And notice the goodness of the king. The king forgives him the entire debt, the, the, the entire 10,000 bags of gold. He says, you're forgiven. Forget about it. I'm wiping it off the books. You can go free. 
Now, what would you think that this man would do? Obviously, he would jump up from the king's presence and celebrate. My goodness, what a load has been lifted for me. But the Bible says that this is the story Jesus gave us, that this man immediately gets up from the presence of the king and runs out and finds someone that owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, it doesn't take much to figure out that gold is worth a whole lot more than silver. And 10,000 bags of gold is more than a hundred silver coins. And so here he runs out and he finds a fellow servant who owes him a hundred silver coins. Notice a small, very small amount compared to the large amount the king has just forgiven him up. And he finds his fellow servant who owes him a hundred silver coins and he grabs him and says, pay me everything you owe me. Pay me now. And he demands payment. And the guy says, I can't pay you. Please forgive me and I, I, give me time Give me opportunity to, to, to repay you. And the, the man says, no, I'm not going to do that. He has this guy thrown into prison. Now, what an, what an incredible uh, contradiction. He has now received forgiveness for massive amounts of debt. He owed the king. And now he's demanding from this other man something very small and insignificant in comparison to what he's been forgiven of. He doesn't understand forgiveness. He doesn't understand Grace. He doesn't understand what's just been done for him. And really, in essence, Jesus was saying this is how the Father treats those that have the inability or refuse to forgive their brother or sister for things that are done against them. And so God forgives us, and then somebody does something against us, and we refuse to forgive them. There's a contradiction in that. There's a lack of understanding of grace. See, when we mess up, we want grace, but Oftentimes, what we want for other people is judgment. And Jesus said, no, no, when you pray, you're not really praying the whole deal unless you forgive as well. You receive forgiveness, but you also extend forgiveness. See, forgiveness is something to be received, but it's also something to be extended. That's the full measure of praying this prayer, forgive us, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And so the circle is not complete unless there's both aspects of this. This is why the Holy Spirit reminds us over and over again of this important principle. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Galatians 6, 1 through 3, dear brothers, if a Christian is overtaken by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help, help him back on the right path. Remembering that the next time it might be one of you who is in the wrong, share each other's troubles and problems, so obey our Lord's commands. If anyone thinks he's too great to stoop to this, he's fooling himself. He, really, he is really a nobody. And prayer is the way that we offload our hurt and our anger and our judgment toward others. I know from my own life, the times that I've had to get down before God and ask God for forgiveness for my sins, but also to ask God to now help me to forgive someone who's hurt me because I'm still carrying something inside of me towards someone else. I'm expecting God to wipe my slate clean, but I'm not willing to wipe their slate clean. And oftentimes in prayers, that moment that we say, God, I let go of that. I forgive that person. I release them for what they did to me. I release them for what they said about me. I release them for the hurt they caused me. I let go of that. Just like you let go of my sins, Jesus, I'm going to let go and set them free. I'm not going to demand payment for them after you've set me free from the payment that I owed you. 
And that's when the cycle, notice this, that's when the cycle of the forgive us prayer is complete. It's not complete unless both of those aspects happen. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Let me say it again. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. That is the forgive us prayer. Yes, sin is a big deal. No question about it. But God has something good to say to sinners. The good thing that he says to us is that Jesus came to pay the price for our sins. He came not to condemn the world, but to save us from our sin. We learn that prayer is the main way that we continually renew and restore that relationship with God. When we mess up, we come to God and in repentance and confession with receiving and restoration. We let God work in our lives. And then we also realize that in prayer, I need to offload any hurt or any anger or any judgment I have toward other people. Because when I do this, I've then completed the cycle, the circle of the forgive us prayer. Would you join me together as we pray today? Father, we thank you so much for the reminder in your word of the importance of praying this very significant prayer, the forgive us prayer. We're so grateful, Lord, that in the midst of this big thing called sin, that you sent the gospel, the good news. What an amazing thing that the good news is that Jesus, you came to, to take the penalty for our sins, to shed your blood so that we could be forgiven. You offered that to us. You provided every way necessary so that this big deal of sin was dealt with. And so, Lord, we're grateful for that. We appreciate it so very much. And Lord, we also want to make sure that on a regular basis, we're keeping our relationship with you right and clean and to make sure that we're renewing and restoring our relationship with you. And so, Lord, today we ask that there are areas of our life that we need to repent of, that you would help us to come to that place of sincere repentance. Lord, if there are uh, confessions that we need to make to you, owning up to those things that are wrong in our life, help us to clean those things out in relationship to you. Lord, help us to receive that beautiful gift, the benefit of forgiveness, and restore us from the brokenness that comes by reason of our sin. And then, Lord, I also pray today that you'd help every one of us to not just receive forgiveness, but help us to extend it to other people. Help us to be people who not only accept grace into our lives, but give grace to the people around us. Lord, let us wipe the slate clean so that we're not carrying hurt and anger and bitterness in our hearts. Lord, do this work through the power of your precious Holy Spirit. For that, we thank you in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.